Big section, a lot of text. Title of my sermon is The Beauty of Obedience. The Beauty of Obedience. Here's the big idea. Obedience to the Lord, it's a big theme in Scripture. Obedience to the Lord follows rescue, reveals our allegiance, is empowered by the Spirit, and is aimed. It is aimed. Our obedience must be aimed at God's glory. So obedience to the Lord follows rescue, reveals our allegiance, is empowered by the Spirit, and is aimed at God's glory. Now, if someone came up to you, a friend or a a fellow believer, and I think, again, I've heard this question, I'm sure you have as well, why do you obey the Lord? Why? Why obey Him? Why do you obey the Lord? I'm not asking you to yell at your answer, by the way. I just want that question to kind of hang for a moment. And I think if you asked other believers, if you just walked on the streets and asked maybe a hundred people, I think these are the answers you would get. Some might say, I obey because I fear the Lord's judgment. That's why I obey. Because I fear His judgment. Others might say, and again, there's more than this. You know, answers abound as it concerns this question, but these are some, I think, common answers you may hear. So others might say, I obey to earn His favor, to get His rewards. And still others may say, I obey because it makes me more spiritually presentable. I look good, and I want to impress others. But why should we obey the Lord? I'm not satisfied, and you shouldn't be either with those answers. Why should we obey the Lord? What does the Bible say? Because He's Lord, and He's Savior, and we love Him. Obedience doesn't make us right with God. Instead, it flows out of a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Obedience is it's how we show our gratitude and our allegiance to the Savior God who has rescued us from an eternity in hell. Amen? Amen. Let me give some context. Again, this is a, a lot of text. We're moving ahead. We've got a, a few more weeks in Exodus, and then we'll begin our study in John, John's Gospel, but not yet. So in this large section, Exodus 35 to 39, we have the construction, the building of the tabernacle in all its furnishings. Now, there's a lot of repetition from what we saw earlier in Exodus 25 to 30. We've already talked about, we've spent a lot of time in those chapters talking about the theological significance of the tabernacle and the theological significance of all the different pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. We've talked about the specific size and the particular location of each item. right? The ark, the table for bread, the the golden lampstand, just to name a few. We've talked about what each item teaches us about God and how each item points us to Christ. And now... Okay, after all this instruction, after all this teaching, and after the Lord's provision of his plans, we come to the section in Exodus where everything is getting ready to be built and is built. It's finally going to be constructed. 
this dwelling place for the Lord, this place, this physical locale where God would visibly rule over his people. It's actually going to be built now. Again, what is emphasized at the outset is the fact that this is the Lord's building project. Amen? It's his building project. He provides the instruction. He gives the Holy Spirit to the individuals he set apart for this work. The Lord commands. It's a key word in our passage. And again, our passage is huge. The Lord commands Israel to build his royal dwelling place among his people, the tabernacle, and guess what? They obey. He commands, and they obey. And so the main theme in our passage is obedience to the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about. Obedience to the Lord. There's a recurring phrase found throughout this large section. They made all that the Lord commanded. It appears at least eight times in this section. They made all that the Lord commanded. I'm going to point you to three examples of this. So God commanded and they did. What do we call that? God commanded it, they did it. We call that obedience, okay? So that's what's being emphasized. Exodus 38:22. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. Exodus 39:1. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. There's that phrase again. As the Lord had commanded, so they did it. Exodus 39:32. Thus, and this is towards the end, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And, and just in case you weren't listening, so they did. Right? He says it again, just for emphasis. They did it. What he commanded, they did. So they did. They did it. All right? So one other thing here I thought was really cool at the beginning. The people's generosity is emphasized, right? I mean, Moses is like, hey, no more. We're good. We got everything we need. Stop. I thought that was funny. That's in Exodus 36, 3, 5, and 7. But this is an important point. Let me read it quickly. Exodus 36, verse 3 and verse 5. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. So God's people are bringing all the materials, everything needed to build this place of worship, this place of sacrifice, this dwelling place for the Lord and all the different pieces of furniture that went in, right? So we read that. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, verse 5, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. We got it. We got enough. So Israel's obedience included their giving. Their obedience was translated into generosity. And we saw this a few weeks ago. And it's hard to remember, you know, week to week. What what did we talk about two weeks ago? We saw a few weeks ago, Israel gave of their time and their money to honor and serve the Lord. Their obedience was comprehensive and followed. It followed God's gracious work of rescue in their lives. Again, as we'll see in our passage, this is the big idea. Obedience, right? It follows the Lord's rescue. It reveals our allegiance It's empowered by the Spirit, and our obedience is aimed at who? Whose glory? Ours? Do we obey so that we look good? No, we obey to bring God what? 
glory. So what do we learn in our passage about obedience? Again, that's the major theme in these chapters. And they did all that the Lord commanded. They did it. Obedience. I want to look at five things this morning. Number one, and this is probably the most important. Number one, our obedience follows. Everybody say follows. It comes after. It follows God's rescue. The, the clear pattern or principle established in Scripture is what? Obedience follows grace. Obedience follows rescue. Obedience flows out of salvation. Again, I would argue this is probably the most important point. We've got to get this. Amen? Do we obey God to get His rescue, to get His grace, to receive salvation? No. We obey because we've been saved through Christ. Amen? Our obedience is not to earn God's favor and grace. Instead, it is our response of gratitude to God for His saving work in our lives. We obey because we love God, right? We obey because we love God. And we obey in response to His love poured out for us at the cross. We don't obey to earn God's love. we got to get this right. This really speaks to the issue of sanctification. Recall the song that we sang. What was the second song? Almost the first song? It was the second song. Trust and obey. I'm not going to sing it because people would leave. But I want to talk about it. Who's heard this song before? Before today. Somewhat familiar. Trust and obey. Okay. So this is a wonderful hymn that presents us with the proper ordering of things. Think about it. Trust and obey. By grace, we trust in the Lord. Amen? We, we put our faith in Jesus. We're made alive by the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel to trust in Jesus. And we keep trusting in Jesus, but the moment we trust in Jesus for the first time, we are justified. We are declared right before a holy God. So by grace, we trust in Jesus and are justified or declared right before God. And from that new position of right standing before God, by new power that we have through our union with Christ, we do what? What do we do? We obey. We obey. Those who trust will obey. Those who trust will obey. Our obedience flows out of our faith in Jesus. We're justified by our faith, not by our obedience. However, those who trust in Jesus will do what? They'll obey. And we're going to see how under our fifth and final point. Now, we see this same pattern throughout the New Testament, right? This is not only in the Old Testament. Again, God rescues Israel from slavery, and then he gives them the law. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm only going to rescue you depending on how well you do with my law. And if you don't do well, if you don't get 100A plus, then you're going to stay in Egypt. No, he rescues them by his grace, and then he gives them his word, right? We see that in the New Testament as well. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, our brother David, this was part of his testimony. That was sweet, right? Starting in verse 4, but God. This is a great passage. Who knows Ephesians 2, 1 to 10? It's a great passage for sharing the gospel. It's a passage that I think every Christian should be well familiar with. It presents, like our song, Trust and Obey, the proper ordering of things. 
We see first in verses 1, 2, and 3 that we are spiritually dead. And what do the dead do? What can they do? Nothing. And we see that the spiritually dead are saved by grace because of what God does and has done through faith. So salvation is a gift from the Lord to be received by faith. And this itself is due to God's grace. Do we deserve it? Do we do anything to earn it? Can we make it happen? No. But this is how it ends, right? So we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can't say, hey, look, God, what I did. I deserve your forgiveness. I deserve your salvation. And we can't do that because we're dead. He did it all through Christ. And by grace through faith, we are declared right, holy, forgiven, righteous. But there are good works. That's how the passage ends. The good works come after, right? The good works are for those who have trusted in Jesus. The good works don't make us right with Jesus. It's his good work that makes us right. But if we're saved by grace through faith, we're saved not by works, we're saved for, say it, works. And you could insert obedience. We're saved for works. We're saved for obedience. And these good works, our obedience, demonstrate our gratitude to God for the gospel. Amen? That's why we obey. All right, number two, and this seems so clear and so obvious, but it's all over the passage. Our obedience, number two, is in response to who? It's in response to the Lord. Again, this may seem obvious, but it is emphasized again and again in our passage. Israel, this is from the passages, again, I think eight times we find this phrase, Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded. Who commanded? Who was it? Okay, so our obedience is the appropriate response to whose command? The Lord's command. All right, so, and this is what our obedience does. This is cool. Our obedience acknowledges the goodness and the wisdom of God's commands in his word. We are to do what the Lord says. His commands carry an extra weight due to the nature of his person. He is supreme. He is God. Now, the verb to command in the Hebrew is tz. It's like ts. Tzva. Tzva. It means to lay charge upon or to order. Now, here's why I bring that to light. This is why this verb is so good, to command. It brings to light the kingship of God. God as king gives orders. He gives commands. He gives the orders and the people do what? What should they do? They obey. What the king says do, we do. And where the king says go, we, we go because he's, he's king. He's Lord. Now, children, let me talk to our kiddos, our youngins. Children, when our parents tell us to do something, we do it. We should do it because of who they are. They are an authority figure in our lives placed there by God for our good. Now, adults, let's talk to the adults. When your boss tells you to do something, you do it because of who they are. Again, if it's, if it's right, if it's in line with God. If they tell you to do something that's not ethically sound in line with God's word, don't do it, right? But again, hey, I need you to fill out this report. I need you to go make this call. You do it. Why? Why do you do it? They're in an authority role or position over you. And yet, there is a greater authority. And who's that? Who's the greatest authority? There's no greater authority than the Lord. 
We obey him because of who he is. Now, it's subtle. It's subtle and it's easy to miss. But the title used of God in our passage is what? Lord. Lord. The Lord commands. Now, again, you should think of Exodus 3. I am. He is the Lord. He always has been. He's the one who always has been. He's the creator. He's the sovereign king. That is the one who commands us. That's who we say yes to. There's no higher authority. Amen? Number three, our obedience is for God's glory. Now, the purpose of the tabernacle, hopefully by now we know the purpose of the tabernacle. The purpose of the tabernacle was to showcase or highlight God's presence, God's grace, God's goodness. When we obey the Lord, it honors the Lord. Now, we may be tempted to obey for our glory, right? I mean, I'm sure none of us have ever been tempted there to obey to look good, to obey for personal or self-recognition. But we may be, and I think all of us have been, tempted to obey for our glory, our personal recognition, to draw attention to ourselves. Instead, we must obey to shine light on the matchless wonder and goodness and glory of the Lord. And we see this in our passage, especially in Exodus 39, verse 32, which has a deliberate and intentional echo back to Genesis 1 and 2. There's there's several allusions back to Genesis 1 and 2 in our passage. So if I asked you, hey, let's talk about some of God's building projects in the Bible, what was the first building project, the first creation project? Where would you go? You'd go back to... Genesis, right? Where God created everything. So there's several allusions back to Genesis 1 and 2, and I'll explain why that's important here in a moment. But Exodus 39, 32, and the point is this, our obedience is for God's glory. Listen to verses, well, verse 32 of chapter 39. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. It's directly from Genesis 1 and 2. It was finished. It was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So, just as the first creation was for what? The glory and majesty of God. You think of Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above proclaim His handiwork. So, just as the first creation was for the glory and majesty of God, so too the tabernacle was for this most glorious purpose, which is what? Our obedience is aimed at what? Not our glory, but... God's glory. So why do you obey? What's your motive? I love John 14, 15. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Our obedience is to flow out of our love for Jesus Christ. We obey the one we treasure most, right? We obey the one we treasure most. When we obey the one we treasure most, it brings glory to God. It worships him. Now, would you admit this morning that there are areas in your life, are there areas in your life where you're not seeking to obey the Lord? Maybe a relationship, maybe your finances, maybe your time. All is His and all for His glory. Our obedience to the Lord is worship because it declares the supreme worth of God and 
it calls others to join and imitate us. I think about Paul's words in Philippians 3.17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What is Paul doing here? What's he declaring? What's he getting at? Follow my example. What, what was Paul committed to doing? What did he call the church to do? Earlier in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, obey! Obey the Lord as king. Paul is saying, Jesus is worthy of our lives. We obey him in all that we do. Follow our example of obedience. Do what we do because the king is worthy. Number four, our obedience declares our allegiance to the Lord. What does it declare? Our allegiance to the Lord. I mean, again, if you're not obeying the Lord, if you're not coming under his word, can you really say that you've given your allegiance to him? You can't. I don't care what God says. I don't care what his word. I do what I do, but I love Jesus. Whoa, what? Our obedience declares our allegiance to the Lord. Obedience assumes. It assumes an authority figure, right? It assu- I mean, obedience assumes what? Why do we tell our kids to obey? Why should they obey us? Because God has put them in our lives, and he's put us over them as an authority figure. So obedience assumes what? An authority figure. When we obey, it shows. When we obey the Lord, it shows that we acknowledge him to be the Lord of our lives. Now, where do we see this? Maybe what what came to mind? The Great Commission. We see this embedded in the Great Commission. Now, what's established at the outset of the Great Commission? What does Jesus say before he gives the command, make disciples? What does he say in verse 18? All authority in heaven, not some, not the majority, not 99%, but all authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then from that, what does he say? Obey me by making disciples. Go do. Go. I'm telling you, I have all authority. Go make disciples. So what flows out of that authority and our recognition of his authority? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Those who come under that lordship, the lordship of Christ, are called to obey the Lord in some things, all things. His teaching now takes precedence in our lives. We show that our allegiance is to King Jesus when we come under the word of God with the people of God, the church. We see this in John 13, 34, and 35. Listen to the language. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. A new what? Commandment. So he's calling for what? If there's a command, he's calling for what? Obedience. So a new commandment I give to you. What? That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, when you do this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, so... Jesus gives his followers a new commandment, and when they obey that commandment, they show, they reveal that they belong to Jesus, that their allegiance is to him. Our obedience declares our allegiance to Christ. Amen? Does your life give evidence that Jesus is your king? Does it? Does your life give evidence that Jesus is your king? I remember when I was a new Christian. So, 
growing up as a young teenager and really a preteen, most of my friends weren't Christians, right? And again, you could say, well, bro, you weren't even driving yet. What kind of trouble can you get in? Come on now. <laughs> you can get in a lot of trouble before you get a pair of keys. But I remember when I trusted in Jesus, when I was saved, when I was regenerated, some friends would say, hey, let's, let's go do this, or let's watch this, and I'd say, no, I, I don't want to. Why? Because I want to obey my new king, Jesus Christ. This is what his word says, and this is what you're saying, and what you're saying doesn't line up with his word. I'm going to obey Jesus. And I remember <laughs> some of my friends that I played, you know, travel ball with were like, dude, you're, you're a jerk. You're an idiot. What a loser. Like, come, really? You're, you're going to, yeah, I mean, I, I got to obey my king. Does that stop? No, that should continue, right? When we obey Jesus, it shows that our allegiance is to him, that we prioritize and we elevate his word. His word takes precedence. Isn't it sweet when we get to do that with the body, a family, the church? Number five, our obedience is powered. It is empowered. Now, this is, I told you I'd come back to the how. How do we obey? Our obedience is empowered by the Spirit of God. And we see this with two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab. Listen to Exodus 35, verses 30 to 32, and then we'll look at verse 1 of chapter 36. So, again, our obedience is empowered by the Spirit of God. How do we obey? Does it come naturally? No, it's by the... It's by the Spirit. We see that with Bezalel and Aholiab. Exodus 35, 30-32, and then 36, verse 1. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. He's filled him with what? The Spirit of God. He's filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to make or to work in gold and silver and bronze, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. What hope did these two guys have to do what the Lord had commanded? What hope did they have? They were filled with the, what hope do we have to obey the Lord? If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have the, you got the Spirit, amen? Now, the, the power to obey by the Spirit, this is part of the new covenant promise. This is so good. This is like my go-to passage. This is Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you, and I'll remove the heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you, and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. What's going to happen first? I'm going to put my spirit in you, and that's going to move you to follow my decrees and keep my law. Obey. How are we going to obey? By the, by the spirit. By the spirit. Now, this is a really cool correlation. I want you to catch this. I'm going to show you where it's seen consistently in Scripture. God's Word, the Bible, connects the filling of the Spirit to obedience to the Word of God. Okay? The Bible consistently connects the filling of the Spirit in the presence of God, that, 
with obedience to the Word of God. Obedience to the Lord. How do we obey? By the, by the Spirit and the power of His presence. All right, I'm going to give you three examples of this, and I'll unpack a couple. So in Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What is going to enable, empower the disciples of Jesus to be witnesses of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world? Who's going to come upon them? The Spirit. We see it in Matthew 28. 20. The Great Commission is daunting, right? Uh, go to the nations. And by the way, they're going to hate you. They're going to ridicule you. It's going to be really hard. But what is the promise at the end of the Great Commission? I'm with you. Verse 20. And behold, I'm with you always. Not sometimes I'll come and go, but no, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How do Jesus' disciples make more disciples? By the power of His presence, by the Spirit. All right, now the one I really want to camp on is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Again, the point is this. Our obedience is empowered by the? By the Spirit of God. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Now again, listen to the language. Paul says, and Paul's in prison, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. What word? Obeyed. So catch that. Just hold on to that. As you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, because again, he's, he's locked up, he's in chains, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will, ooh, to will, and to work. To will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, so let me unpack this. Here we have the language of obedience, right? Obey. And interestingly enough, obedience is in parallel to work out your salvation. What does it mean to get on with your salvation? Work it out. Put it into practice. You're saved. What does salvation look like in practice? If you're saved, you do what? Jesus, if you love me, you'll do what? If you're my disciple, you'll do what? You'll obey. Okay, so in parallel, obedience and working out your salvation. So working out your salvation amounts to obedience. Obey the Lord. He's not saying you're saved by obeying. He's saying, because you're saved, what should you be doing? Obeying. But how? All right, here it is. How? What's the point? Obedience is empowered by the Spirit of God. How do we do it? Were you listening? Obedience does not come naturally. So how do we do it? Verse 13 is key. Oh, verse 13 is money. This is so good. Are you ready? Everybody say four. That word gar, it's like a pirate gar, but that's the word in Greek. It's for. He's given the grounds. He's saying, here it is. Work it out. How? For it is God who works in you, oh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Lord, by the Spirit, works in his rescued people, enabling them, empowering them to obey Christ as king. The Spirit transforms the willingness behind the working. So not only does God give us the power to obey, He changes our heart to where we want to obey, right? So He enables the willingness behind the working. Isn't that incredible? Inner transformation. The Spirit inclines our hearts to obey and empowers our obedience. We obey by the power of the Spirit. All right. 
our large section. It's a lot. It ends on a note of blessing, and it's really significant. It ends on a note of blessing. It's not subtle. It's clear, and so is the association. What does Moses associate with obedience at the end of our passage? Blessing. It's blessed to obey. It's a blessed thing to obey. Blessing and obedience. Everybody say blessing and obedience. The Scripture makes that association, therefore so should we, right? Blessing and obedience. Exodus 39, 43. It's the last verse of this section. And Moses saw, and again, a clear echo to Genesis 1 and 2. And I'll show you where. I'll show you how. And Moses saw all the work. And behold, they'd done it. They obeyed. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. That's the end of the section. God commanded it. Moses saw it. They did it. Moses blessed them. Again, there's an intentional allusion back to Genesis 1 and 2. Recall how the first creation story ends. Now listen, this is Genesis 1, 31 to Genesis 2, verse 1, 2 and 3. So there's like four verses here. So the last verse of Genesis 1 and the first three verses of Genesis 2. And God saw everything he had made. Remember Exodus 39, 43? And Moses saw all the work. He saw it. So back to Genesis 1. And God saw everything that he'd made. And behold, it was very good. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. There's that language again. We saw that in Exodus chapter 39. I think verse 32. Right? It's finished. And all the host of them, verse 2, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse 3, so God blessed. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So in Genesis 1 and 2, at the conclusion of a building project, the Lord sees and the Lord blesses. In Exodus 39, 43, at the conclusion of another building project, Moses sees and Moses blesses. Now, what does this language mean? What's the point of this comparison? Israel's obedience is affirmed. It's declared good because, as we've already seen, it was for whose glory? It was for God's glory. So the language of blessing amounts to divine approval. The Lord was pleased with Israel's nationwide building project, their obedience to him. Obedience is the way of blessing, meaning it's approved by God, it pleases God. Recall Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Again, there's the blessing association with obedience. God affirms it. It's good to bless God. It's good to obey God. It's good to follow God. It's good to come under his word. So if you wish to please and honor the Lord, then obey him in all things. Raise your hand if you want to please and honor the Lord. Then obey him in all things. How? By the? And always for his? Good. All right. We learned something today. Good. Now, let me end with five quick practice steps. I'm going to rattle these off. Number one, and you'll see why these are important. Number one, educate yourself in the Lord's commands because you can't obey what you don't know, right? 
If obedience is important, what should we know? God's what? His word. Know your Bible. God shows us how he wants us to live and what he wants us to do in this book. Show me a Christian who's concerned with obeying the Lord, and I'll show you a Christian who lives in this book. Number two, repent of disobedience. Repent of disobedience. Examine your life today. Examine your motives. Are your motives pure? Are they right for obeying the Lord? If not, and if there's areas in your life where you're saying to God, hands off, that's mine. If you've somehow compartmentalized your life, this relationship, this, I don't know, my, my time at work, I'm going to act one way and then at home another way. No, it's all His. Amen? So examine your life today. Repent of disobedience. Number three, it's a good reminder. Keep God's glory ever before you as the ultimate goal of obedience. Why do we obey? For whose glory? Not ours, His. So keep God's glory ever before you as the ultimate purpose or goal for obedience. Number four, obey the Lord from a gospel vantage point. Remember, obedience follows rescue. It doesn't create rescue. Amen? It follows rescue. We obey because we've been rescued. We don't obey to get rescued. Obedience, so you've got to keep that in mind. Never think, God, you see what I'm doing. I earn or I deserve or I merit your favor. No, Christ did that for us. We obey out of gratitude for the gospel. And then number five, this may surprise you, get baptized. Get baptized. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus. I remember Mark Dever saying, getting wet is the easiest command Jesus gave us to follow. It only gets harder from there. Getting wet is the easiest command Jesus gave us to follow. It only gets harder from there. But know this. Know this, friends. In baptism, as we saw this morning, you are publicly declaring before the church and to the Lord your allegiance, your commitment to Him. This is a great quote by Bobby Jameson. He wrote, to be baptized, I love this. This is one to write down. I should have put it in your handout. To be baptized is to sign on the dotted line below, observe everything I have commanded you, from Matthew 28. Isn't that good? So if you're a believer, again, we're all, it's all about obedience. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Let me end with this story. Was this me? It could have been. I don't know. It's not. A little boy was riding his tricycle furiously around the block. Have you ever seen a kid ride a tricycle like that? Just those legs are pumping. And he's not going very fast, but he's just. So a little boy was furiously riding his bicycle, or his tricycle, right, three wheels around the block over and over again. Can you imagine the neighbors? Like, here comes Timmy again. I mean, they're out there, like old people out there drinking coffee, just watching. This is entertainment, right? Old couple just laughing. There he goes again. It's getting dark. He's still going. Well, finally, a policeman stopped and asked him why he was going around and around. He's not really going anywhere. He's just going around and around. And the boy said that he was running away from home. <laughs> then the policeman asked, why are you going around the block? This is what the boy said. 
because my mom said that I'm not allowed to cross the street. (laughs) Here's the point. I think the point is clear. Obedience denotes closeness. Obedience denotes closeness. As one person writes, obedience will keep you close to those you love. If you wish to grow, now this is important, if you wish to grow in closeness to the Lord, relationally speaking, if you wish to grow in closeness to the Lord, again, relationally speaking, then resolve to obey Him in all things. Now, it's true. Now, we've got to get this, church. It's true that nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing can break or undermine our union with Christ if we've been regenerated to put our faith and trust in Him. Nothing can undermine or break our union with Christ. And yet, a lack of obedience can, in fact, affect our communion with God. We see that in 1 Peter 3, the husband who does not live with his wife in an understanding way, God's not going to hear his prayers. Wow, that's a warning, right? So if you're saved, if you've trusted in Jesus, nothing can break or undermine your union with the Lord, but disobedience will affect your communion with the Lord. So resolve to obey the Lord, and you can by the, by the Spirit. And why do we obey Him, church? He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen? He's worthy. I'm thankful for the good news. I'm thankful that the gospel is not get your life together, obey the Lord perfectly, and then you'll be saved. If that were the case, none of us would have hope because the Bible teaches all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. The good news is Christ lived the perfect life. He obeyed perfectly the Father. He lived for us. And then He died for us because Our sin demands punishment. We've all sinned. Jesus, he paid the debt of a perfect life for us, and then he stepped up to the cross and died for us, taking the punishment we deserve for our sin. And then he rose again, which means that what he did worked, and all his claims are true. So trust in him, sinners, all of us. Trust in Jesus. Repent of your sin and resolve to live a life of obedience. And you can by the, by the Spirit. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us to obey. And we thank you that you make it clear in Scripture that our obedience does not lead to salvation. That Christ did that for us. Instead, we obey because of salvation, because of the forgiveness we have in Jesus through faith. And I thank you that we can obey by the power of the Spirit that indwells your people. And I pray, Father, that we would be on guard against selfish hearts, against pride and glory-hungry hearts, that we would always seek to do our obedience for your glory because you're most worthy. Father, I pray this morning that you would call the lost to yourself, If there are people in this room who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would move on their hearts, give them new hearts, help them to see the beauty of the Savior, their need for Jesus, their need to turn from sin, a sin which will lead to hell. We thank you that, Jesus, you made the way, the only way, for sinners to be forgiven and reconciled to God through your life, death, and resurrection. So call the lost to yourself and move upon your body this morning, Father. 
If there are those in this room who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but they're still not obeying you in all ways, in all areas, I pray that you would convict them by your spirit through your word. I pray that we would say, Lord, I'm yours. All of me is yours. All I have is yours, and it's all for your glory. So, Father, I pray that Kelty's would be a church marked by obedience, obedience to the Lord for his glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,